unseen goddess, the anger of Peleus' son Achilles, and its devastation, which put pains thousandfold upon the Achaeans, hurled in their multitudes to the house of Hades strong souls of heroes, but gave their bodies to be the delicate feasting of dogs, of all birds. And the will of Zeus was accomplished since that time when first there stood in division of conflict Arius' son, the lord of men and brilliant Achilles. What god was it then set them together in bitter collusion? So begins the great Greek epic, the Iliad. From Wyoming Catholic College, this is the After Dinner Scholar podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. The Iliad, first of Homer's two great epics, tells the tale of the war between Greece and Troy as it unfolds on the plains outside that ancient city. And the focus of the tale is Achilles, the greatest hero on either side who, for most of the book, sits on the sidelines. Dr. Glenn Arbery is both a scholar and teacher of the Iliad who, once again, is reading the epic with our Wyoming Catholic College freshmen. To get us started, what's the Iliad about? What is the story? It's the story of the wrath of Achilles um, in the ninth year of the Trojan War. And the wonderful thing about the Iliad is that it compresses really the whole meaning of the Trojan War into an action that takes place within really just a few weeks. And it doesn't end with the destruction of Troy, which really we don't see narrated in the epic tradition until um, references to it in the Odyssey, but then a fuller account in the Aeneid. But the Iliad really focuses on this one hero and his wrath, and that's uh, the, the range of it, you know, from the beginning of it until the, the end of it, uh, 24 books later. Well, it's the first book our freshmen read in the humanities curriculum. Why is that? What, what do we hope to give? Uh, what, what, what do we hope they'll get out of the poem, particularly if it's about somebody's wrath? Well, the wrath of Achilles centers on the fact of his mortality. There's a story that the Greeks all knew that the son of Thetis, who is a sea goddess, was to have a destiny to be greater than his father. And the gods, in order to prevent Zeus or Poseidon from marrying Thetis, which they had intended to do, married her to a mortal man. Helios, which meant that the threatening son who could have overthrown the whole Olympian order was instead born immortal. So it puts the, the poem by centering on Achilles puts uh, an intense focus on, on what it means to be immortal, that is to be one who is destined to die, unlike the gods. Um, Apollo, I was just reading book 24 of the Iliad at the very beginning of that. Um, well, I guess it's book 22. But anyway, he says to Achilles, you know, um, you can chase me all you want. You know, you can try to kill me, but I'm not one who is fated. Meaning that he's not one who's, um, whose destiny is to, end his, is to end in death. So the poem gives us this 
intense focus on what it means to be mortal, what, you know, what it means to have this kind of limitation next to the, the endless and unfaded lives of the gods. It's a tragic understanding, but also one that is breathtakingly beautiful by the end of the poem. And the, the immortal gods are immortal, but their lives are kind of weird. They, their lives, you could say, are, I mean, they, they, they have certain qualities that they embody, but they don't have a story, you know, a single story that um, brings them to a, a kind of focus in the way that mortals do. And their, their lives are, uh, yeah, they're endless, they're, yeah, they don't, <laughs> there's a way in which they don't have the kind of point, you know, that, that human lives do. Well, they, sp they spend a lot of time studying and interfering in human lives as they, a result. They do, they do right. They, they move the characters uh, sometimes. I don't think the characters are puppets. I don't think that's the right way to put it. But they help some, they hinder others, you know, and they're, they always have their hand in, you know, with what mortals are doing down here on the earth. When you sort of get to, you start wondering if there weren't mortals on the earth, what in the world would they be doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> now, you've taught the Iliad many times. How do students respond to the book? Do they like it? Do they hate it? Do they sit confused? Uh, they, they're confused at the beginning, but I think by the time they get um, into the middle books of the poem, they've gotten used to all these names. They've, they've gotten used to um, the way that Homer narrates it. And I, my experience is they love it. Uh, I bet there are some who don't, you know, but um, but, but I've, I've had great engagement this year with, with both classes, you know, thinking it through. And I think they see the, what's at stake in it, you know, which is this um, desire for Achilles, for the kind of honor that's due to him, for a, a superb excellence, which is nevertheless not divine, you know. And, and I don't know, they, they, I find them to be really taken with the poem. What are your favorite parts of the poem? Oh, well, I guess, you know, what I come back to repeatedly, I think as a, as a sort of center of the poem for me is right at the end of, well, at the end, uh, book 18 of the poem is when Achilles finds out that his, that his friend Patroclus has just been killed in battle and the, uh, the Achaeans or the Greeks and the Trojans are fighting over his body. And the messenger comes to tell Achilles that his friend is dead. And Achilles is just at that moment having a kind of premonition, you know, of his loss. And when Achilles uh, cries out in his grief, his mother, Thetis, who is the sea goddess, hears him in the depths of the sea. So there's some kind of connection there, you know, some way that she hears it. And the, the mourning that starts up, um, not just with her, but with all her sisters in the depths of the sea, it's, it's just a kind of a beautiful image. And then they all rise up out of the sea and surround Achilles and his mourning. And this is, this is the book of the poem where he realizes 
that, you know, with a kind of uh, great clarity that in order to avenge the death of his friend Patroclus by killing Hector, he also has to accept his own death. His mother tells him, it's fated that you're going to die soon after Hector does. So he accepts his death. And this is uh, also the book of the poem where his mother goes up to Olympus to get new armor for him because the armor that he had owned from his father Peleus has been taken by Hector when he killed Patroclus. So, you know, the great shield of Achilles and all these images are, are in that one book of the poem, which is one of my favorites. Patroclus was wearing his armor. Yes. Yeah. He went Hector into the battle. He was right. Achilles. Well, no, Hector knows by that point it's not Achilles, but still it's the, it's the armor that Patroclus initially scares the Trojans by going into battle uh, wearing it. Yeah, it's part of the irony of, of that whole part of the poem that just before Hector kills him, Apollo strikes the armor off of Patroclus, you know, so that he's standing there unarmed, unprotected in the middle of battle. And that's when Hector stabs him. No, he knows it's Patroclus, but he's sort of forgotten what's <laughs> the about Achilles. And, and that's, that's what the rest of the poem is about. Well, Achilles is made himself forgettable. Oh, I don't, I don't, don't know entirely. Well, yeah, that that's the case. I mean, he's, he's withdrawn and others don't forget him. Uh, Hector's wife keeps telling him, you know, Achilles is still over there. Hector's friend Polydamas keeps telling him, you know, we're, we're gonna be in a different situation if Achilles comes back into the fighting. But, but Hector is, is kind of in a position to, so that he keeps forgetting Achilles. He's so full of his own glory at this point that he doesn't, you know, he just doesn't um, heed the advice of others on this point. Now, after Achilles does kill Hector, he drags his body around yeah. in a chariot. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, Achilles is in a state of mind that you don't ever want to be in yourself and you hope no one you know is ever in. Uh, he's pitiless. There's a, a kind of absoluteness to him. It's not like a, a mad rage. It's colder than that, you know? And it's, uh, yeah, it, he, he tries his best to belittle Hector, you know, and to make his, you know, to drag his body around, ties him by the Achilles tendons, interestingly, <laughs> to, to his chariot and drags him back to the ships with his head bouncing in the dirt, you know, drags him around the funeral pyre of, of Patroclus. And then after Patroclus is put into his own grave mound, Achilles gets up every day and drags the body of Hector around it. You know, he just can't, he can't let go of, of his fury. So yeah, it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty barbaric feeling. And then how does it end? Well, the, it, it ends in a way that, um, is necessary if we're really going to be able to honor Achilles. And that's when Hector's father, Priam, is approached by uh, the messenger of the gods who tell him to go and ask for the body of Hector back from, from Achilles. 
And meanwhile, Achilles is told by his own mother, you know, that to, to give it up, you know, to get over this. And, and it's, it's truly a beautiful scene when the old Priam, uh, aided by the god Hermes, comes into the shelter of Achilles and goes and kneels and grasps his knees in the gesture of the suppliant and kisses the hands that have killed so many of his children, as he mentions himself, and tells Achilles to remember his own father, who won't ever be able to you know, get the body of Achilles back or to mourn him in this way. And Achilles relents, you know, and at the end of the poem, despite all that he's tried to do to Hector, the gods have protected that body. They've, they've actually healed the wounds, you know, not only the wound of Achilles killing him, but after Hector was lying there dead, all the other Achaeans would come up and stab the body, you know, which is just one of those gestures tells you how much they feared him and hated him, you know, when he was alive. But now the body is completely restored. It's healed up, you know, and in effect, it's incorrupt. Uh, it's been over 12 days since he died and his body is sort of fresh looking. So it's, a, again, it has something to do with Achilles accepting his own mortality, you know, accepting his own limitation, giving the kind of honor even to his enemy that, you know, that, that he feels um, he's urged by his mother and the other gods to, to do. So it's, it, it's an ending that uh, centers on a kind of forgiveness, on a kind of mercy, you know, uh, toward, the, toward the old man. And, and it's, you know, it's, if, if we're going to think of the honor of Achilles, we have to think of him in some other light than, than that, that barbaric kind of brutality, that coldness that we see earlier. And, and again, is this foundational for understanding all Western literature or? I mean, you can imagine uh, Western literature without it, I suppose, but this is the, this is the tragic epic, you know, and it kind of establishes the Greek world uh, in the in the Western imagination in a in a way that I think it is incomparable. It kind of gives the the place of of honor to human beings, you know, in their tragic reality, over against the you know the sort of lightness of the gods. Um, in the Greek imagination. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's the compelling beginning <laughs> to, to um, the, the great sort of arc of, of Western civilization. Uh, you can see how the Iliad goes into the Aeneid, you know, how the Aeneid goes into the Divine Comedy, you know, um, into Milton's Paradise Lost, and, and so on, uh, even all the way up to Moby Dick. Right, with its kind of heroic struggles. So yeah, it's it's foundational. I don't know. I said I, I could imagine things without it, but now I can't, so. <laughs> if you don't have a favorite part of the Iliad, it's either, I suspect, because you've never read it or because you read it a long time ago. 
Perhaps it's time to either buy a copy or dust off the old one you have left over from college and face the war, the egos, the wrath, the sorrows, the gods, the questions about mortality, honor, and glory. Questions that are as pertinent today as they were in 1180 BC when Troy fell. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.